0: You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. As I was praying about the message today and just over the few weeks, uh, one of the things that really came to my mind was just in our revival series about the elements of revival. I was thinking about uh, just personal encounters and then also corporate encounters of revival and thinking about why revivals are vital um, in the church and beyond and outside of the church into the outer. <clears throat> and one of the things I really wanted to start off with about revival, something I have to raise my hand as well, is that they're not to be manufactured, you know. we are not, not to stir it up uh, out, of our, out of our flesh, if that makes sense. And they're not to be um, duplicated more than anything. God desires for each to live in glory to glory. And the beautiful thing about it is this, that God inhabits our praise, right? And so when we are able to walk and live in the presence of God, that we are having an opportunity to walk in some areas with God while he's continuing doing a work with us. We may look one way, and we're going to touch on that, but God is still doing a work in you. And um, I just want to give you some example of what holiness is. Holiness is the primary meaning of holy to be separated for the work of God. And it comes from an ancient word that meant to cut or set apart when we find a garment or another piece of merchandise that is outstanding. It's like fabulous. It's like it gets your approval, right? That was a superior excellence. And we use the expression that it is a cut above A cut above the rest. And someone approaching God may be, as we worship this morning, a spiritual condition. You may feel as such, not necessarily a cut above, but you are a cut above because of Jesus. Because of of Jesus, you are a cut above. You know, we may approach him as if, you may feel spiritually as if filthy rags, right? I, I don't really use that, but... The Lord led me to that and I thought it was amazing that in our worship, we were just singing about surrendering, acts of surrendering, um, purifying before the Lord, being pure before the Lord. And those are extremely vulnerable places to be, but necessary for each believer to enter into that place of holiness where you are actually walking out something with God that you are able to walk in his presence, walk in the spirit, be led by the spirit. And, and receive the benefits from God, all that he has for you in relationship with him, in union with him. And when we find that, that garment or another piece of merchandise that is outstanding, that is superior, excellence, and as we use that expression, the cut above, and we talked about going into the throne room and, and feeling as if you may feel as if you're filthy rags, but you aren't to remain. You are not to remain in that place. Your worship, man, is vital before the Lord. You are not to remain as filthy rags. You see, our communities, our cities, our nation aren't to remain in such conditions as well. We are a people led by God. God's people have full access to his presence, readily and available to them. We have access to his word uh, and we have the ability to share that with others as well. So this segues into what I want to just talk about, the, this thing of revival. And I wanted to, to pick it up from the angle from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I love this book and I love the, uh, the, the chapters throughout the book. And so if you want to turn there uh, to Nehemiah 1, but I'm going to give us a little background and a backdrop to Nehemiah In the beginning of the chapter, when we read it, Nehemiah, um, you really begin to get uh, uh, the condition of this nation of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was a layman, a cupbearer to a very powerful king by the name of Artaxerxes, uh, who ruled the Persian Empire from 464 B.C. to 423 B.C. Is this okay? Does this sound too loud or no? It's okay. All right. From 446 B.C. to 423 B.C. A cupbearer is a position of great responsibility and privilege. And at each meal, one of his duties, his requirements was to test the wine of the king. Why? To make sure that it was not poisonous. It was not poison. There wasn't any poison in there. And if anybody was going to uh, experience the grunt of that first, it would have been Nehemiah. <laughs> Nehemiah would experience that because that was part of his job duty and his description. And some other requirements uh, to uphold the occupation were to be a man who was handsome, um, well-cultured, well-rounded, a well-rounded man, uh, knowledgeable in the court procedures, and able to converse with the king and advise him if asked. This man could discuss world politics to be able to talk fine arts. That's a wide range there, and... That is someone who is extremely gifted and extremely, um, uh, how do you say he's gifted, but he's also just very aware and knowledgeable of the king. He's like at the king's right hand, you know, he's like literally almost like his right hand man. And because he had access to the king, the cupbearer was a man of great influence as well, which he can use for good or evil. And Nehemiah uh, being a Jewish descent, held such an important position in the palace speaks well of his character and his ability. Uh, the Jewish remnant, give you some history about it, uh, was under constant attack and ridicule from surrounding the nations, from surrounding nations. We're talking about uh, the nation of Israel. From surrounding nations, they were under constant attack and ridicule. And back in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, Led the Babylonian Empire to the city gates of of this nation and literally annihilated and destroyed it from from front to back. And as a result of that, the city gates were in ruins. The gates were in ruins. Uh, They also destroyed the temple as well, but the gates were in ruins. And this is basically where Nehemiah comes into the picture about the city gates. You see, city gates were a place of central activity, activity in biblical times. Uh, city gates provided divine protection. Uh, it also represented honor uh, for the surrounding nations to uh, observe your, your walls, your divine protection, right? So it was, uh, it was at the city gates. I just want to give you some background about that. the city gates where important business transactions were made, court was convened. Public announcements were shared. See, in Proverbs thirty one, twenty-three it describes how the elders sat at the city gates. In Proverbs one twenty twenty-one it says, Out in the open wisdom calls out loud as she raises her voice in the public square on top of the wall, she cries out at the city gate, she makes her speech. To control the gates of one enemy was to conquer their city. Part of Abraham's blessing, the Abraham of blessing was this from the Lord was the promise of your offsprings shall possesses the gates of his enemies. The ruined condition of Jerusalem reflected badly uh, on, the, on God's name for them as a nation so I'm going to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1 and I want to start with between verse 1 and 4 and so we're going to take a look at the scripture if you have your devices or your Bibles and you can turn there and you can just follow me Hananiah, one of the brothers one of his brothers came from Judah and some of the other men and he questioned them about the Jewish remnant, and they had they, they, that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem and they said to me this is Nehemiah he said, and they said to me, Those who survived the exile are back and province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. He says when I heard these things, Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Ah oh boy, is that something when you have a heart for you, where you for you from? You live somewhere else, but you have a heart from where you from and you return back. And you see the condition is is totally different bef- when you were there before. That resonates with me um, just from the area of where I lived in and having returned back home. And I saw where the city uh, through some of the, the down cycles, the downward cycles began to experience some of the um, some of the some of the just some of the as a result of that, just some of the. Things that kind of filtered into that area it was a very nice upscale area one time, but now it just it's taking a hit financially. It's taking a hit spiritually. It's taking a hit. Leaders there are taking a hit, and so when you see those things and you know what it looked like before, and then you see what it looks like now, there's something in your heart that longs to see that thing return back to what you know what it was intended to become. From days I mourned, fasted, and prayed before God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servants is praying before you day and night for your servant, the people of Israel. I confess. Then we talk about that this morning. I confess. I confess The sins we Israelites, he included himself in this. This is what's so powerful. Including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you, but we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, laws you gave us for your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses. Saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but I will return you to me and obey my commands. And then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling in my name. There's a lot in there. And one of the things I want to just highlight is this thing of his confession of sins. Just remarkable Um, Just confessing sin is an amazing, uh, just... um a shedding and a shredding that is actually you surrendering your confession before the Lord. It is a spiritual act of worship before God. It is something that is holy and pleasing to God as well. Uh, so in our confession, we I love this thing that he begins to take ownership of in, in himself. And there's a pattern in there that he takes ownership of himself and he said, and we, he didn't isolate himself and say, and they he said, and we, Israelites, we and my father's family, the sins that we have committed, he has personalized it by placing himself in that as well. And these are sins that were committed from years ago, but yet he takes ownership of it. And I just want to tell you, church, there's something about that because um, in the time we live right now, um, we really see this thing of uh, some of the the unrest, quite a bit of the unrest in our country. And boy, and I tell you, one of the hardest things for me to, uh, that I wrestle with actually is this thing of race and racism. And we've been seeing it from, I think, from one spectrum of it. But let me tell you, when you see it and you hear it from, whew, from within your camp of those who are, you're very close to who happen to be of African-American as well, it is a heartbreaking thing hearing some of the words that are being uh, shouted out. And so the thing of confession and repentance of sin uh, is not a one, one-way street. It, it, works, it works for both. It works for everyone. Yes, and there are those who will hang on to their ideologies, their belief systems. I get it. <laughs> but this thing of confessing our sins and repenting And turning back towards God and allowing God to deal with us in our impurities as we were singing about this morning. It is a spiritual and holy act of worship before the Lord. And I just want to say this, Nehemiah responds to the news that he received from his brothers to return back. To return back to his home. To restore these gates, right? And boy, did he not acknowledge the call of God at this particular time? This is... Uh, here I am, Lord, send me. He is the man raising his hand for the call. Send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. And these are the very same words that Isaiah, the prophet, echoed mourning the death of King Uzziah. Isaiah responded to the call by confessing his sin. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips, that thing of living with others, that he's confessing the sins of others as well. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty, like Isaiah, Nehemiah confessed his own sin and also the sins of his forefathers, right? A common thread we see, we're talking about the elements of revival we're talking about, we're talking about and preaching in these revival series there's patterns of um, I want to say in God not necessarily formulas or methods but just a pattern there's a heartfelt pattern in God when we begin to confess our sins we begin to repent and we ask for forgiveness and we forgive others as well and there's a unity in God that begins to, to begins to unite and boy the scripture tell us about unity throughout the, throughout the passages but also, there's something else that's just as precious in this as well, these common threads, and that is the preaching and the sharing of the gospel. The preaching and the sharing of the gospel in your purest form. In your purest form. Just some history about your city of L.A.? I say, your city, it's my city as well. Although I have Atlanta Braves, have Atlanta, have Atlanta Braves jersey on, but I do love this city. And I love the sports teams. I get... Sort of jabbed about that, but that's not true. I love the sports teams here. We're at Dodgers, Dodgers, Jersey. Okay, we got to get there. <laughs> We're not there. We're not there yet. <laughs> there are a bunch of hooligans. They're rowdy. They're rebel rousers. No, I'm joking. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> huh? Back to Jesus, Right? <laughs> But that was the truth, there, right? <laughs> they are <out> rowdy. <laughs> huh? <laughs> it's a safe place. <laughs> well, here we go. <laughs> Confession of sin. There's something about the heart of confessing sin. And in this city of Los Angeles has such great history. And one of the things I was actually uh, so honored and privileged to meet a gentleman about three years ago, and he actually had the keys, access to this property, uh, 214 Bonnie Bray Street in the city of Los Angeles, uh, where one of the greatest revivals in this city and in the world recorded took place here back in 1908 through 1915. I um, Actually, took a tour of the home, and, and while sitting there, this gentleman, just a historian by 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 all means, just began to just go through these cycles of revivals and how this revival birthed this particular revival, how the revival here birthed this. And then he said something that just dropped in me, and he said, "You know what? And as a result of these these this ministry." Has roots too, and he began to name the roots, and and I began to just research it, and boy, one of those um, I don't know if you ever heard it, but there's a ministry in Dallas called Christ for the Nations that's still going on today, and Christ for the Nation literally is in my backyard in my hometown, and and I tell you what, as a result of that, you know this takes place here, and people from around the world. Have gone there for ministry training and have been released out. Uh, People, great men and women of God, have gone there and just, it's just an encouragement just to see when we look at this thing of revival. uh, We're not just talking about a holy moment that we experience, you know, on a Sunday. No, it goes far beyond that, far beyond. There's roots that are being released that we're not going to be able to see. As a result of the act of being obedient to what God is saying. So the, the people in the Azusa, the Azusa Street Revival would pray, and they would pray hours and hours in this home. And as they prayed, um, they began to just um, come into like this spirit of unity, like this, this like praying in unison on one accord. And as they begin to pray, the Holy Spirit just Came upon that household, but by way of a group of kids in the backyard playing, heard a wind that rushed right over their head, (sighs) rushed right over their head into this home where this family is, where these groups of people are praying. And the Spirit of God has laid everyone out except for one person, and that would be William Seymour, who happens to be be the pastor of the church and leading um, uh, this ministry. Everyone received this infilling of the Holy Spirit. And as they received it, as Jody explained last week, then there was audiences that that were drawn to this area. You know, it really changed the landscape of Los Angeles for a period of time. If you know anything about our nation in 1908... Or 1915 through through 1908 and, and even still, uh, you know, I would say some roots today. There was quite a bit of racial divide in the region, right? But those were the times. We can say that those were the times. But in the racial divide, the church was also divided as well. And we also see a divide today in the church as well. And we see a divide that even goes further than that. We see a divide just in our communities as well, uh, people in our day-to-days, and even in your workplaces, there's a divide there. Culture, culturally, there's a divide. But this particular divide was was something unique about it because it brought about a people together in unison who were black, white, you name it, European, who are from various descents. And one of the things that the move of God uh, in the people begin to accomplish was begin to see a widespread of people in the city begin to receive Jesus and you have folks from various ethnicities who were able in the Susan Street be able to speak in the languages of others in their language without without having any formal education of that language or knowledge of it by the spirit of God they begin to speak in languages um very similar to what you see in Acts. But the point is this, is that it began to revolutionize something that uh, a society, a government, uh, through a system, began to you know, advise that folks of various ethnicities were not even to unite, not even in the churches. Not even in the churches. Not even in the churches. I, I can honestly tell you that I, that resonates with me. My family, my fourth-generation grandfather, was a slave in the state of Tennessee. And this was very common when slaves were freed because they wanted the namesake and also the protection of their former masters when slavery ended. What would happen if the slave master relocated, the slave, the former slave, would also relocate as well. It's common. There's security, there's protection, just like the walls we see. They provide, they provide strength, they provide namesake. And So as he left, he left with his father. What you have to understand is this. I hope this doesn't offend anyone. These aren't consensual relationships between slaves women, and their masters. Those aren't consensual relationships. The thing about it is this, that as he moved with them, thank you, sir, as he moved with them, he also planted a church in this small town in Texas. Um, He planted a church that is still there today. Amazing about it is that like society, government, then blacks fellowship with blacks, everyone else fellowship with everyone else. It's just how we see the pattern of what history shows us. And what we see here in this thing with the Souza is that people from various ethnicities, races, and groups of people fellowshiped and one in unison. That is the heart of God. That is the heart of God. The people of God are far more connected. Amen. We are far more connected with one another than we realize. You see, Peter tells us that we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. A holy nation. A holy race of people. And our citizenship, folks, is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. You see, unity, unity just begins to just crush what the enemy is intended to do in the areas of the identity of the church and its purpose. And see as believers if we're not aware what God is wanting to do in us in unity by uniting us then really we have we haven't fully tapped in. We haven't tapped in. We, we must surrender our cultural identities things that define us as a people your upbringing the community you're not who you are anymore you are a citizen of heaven you are of a holy race my ethnicity our ethnicities do not define us because we are a holy race amen we're a holy people we're royal we're royalty we are a people a priesthood in the kingdom of God something I've been tapping into lately is just about this thing of just uh, news because I, I thought about it from this perspective when Nehemiah received news of his of his homeland right said that Nehemiah responded right by saying here I am Lord essentially send me Get this, the University of Irvine did this survey, and they said this news coverage is more than more than a benign source of facts. From our attitudes to race, groups of people, to the content of personal dreams. It can sneak into our subconscious subconscious and meddle and meddle with our lives. In surprising ways, Saying in surprising ways, it can meddle with our lives. It can lead us into miscalculate certain risk, shape our views of foreign countries, and possibly influence the health of entire economies. It can increase our risk of developing post-traumatic stress, anxiety, and, de- and, and depression. Now, there's an emerging evidence in this study, saying there's an emerging evidence That emotional fallout of news coverage can affect our physical health as well. And increasing chances of a heart attack or developing health problems in your later years because how we receive news and information, how we process, how we formulate, how we think, how information is downloaded into us, um, I did another research and I found it interesting and there's some statistics behind it and it said that the average American spends at least 11 hours absorbing news. My God, absorbing news. So you wake up in the morning receiving news and you go to bed with devices, news. Such news after a while begins to, as the study shows, begins to... um, formulate our ideas and sh- uh, thoughts and begins to shape our world. Now, when Nehemiah heard the news of his homeland, guess what? If anyone hearing a report and of this magnitude about his city, about the gates being in ruin, and if anybody wanted to dismiss information, it very well could have been him. He lived in the finest. He lived right next to the king. He didn't didn't live in ruins. This man lived in the wealth. He lived in the health. He lived in all that that his king had provided for him. He ate the best. He wore the best. He would drink the best. Amen, right? Nothing wrong with that. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> so when we look at the book, right, I'm going to just kind of take a look at Nehemiah 2. Because I, want you to, I really want to just, just like with a thread, just begin to go into where we actually are going to talk more about this nation and this group of people. You see, Nehemiah was in his position. He couldn't show any sadness. For if he did, the king would think that he's committing treason. And want to overthrow his government or have a plot to overthrow him and possibly kill him. So someone showing sadness in Nehemiah's position actually would have been a death sentence for him. And the king begins to ask him, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, this is his response. May the king live forever. May the king live forever. You see, from the time when Nehemiah received the news of this nation and the gates being in ruin and from this time when the king approaches him, this is four months have elapsed between that time and when Nehemiah heard the report. This opening prayer is truly an example of waiting patiently on the Lord, right? That waiting patiently on the Lord is not just this thing, as we've talked about many times, it's not just I sit and wait, or I sit and wait, but I pray, I sing, I'm praying, I'm, I'm interceding, I'm praying, and I'm just fasting, I'm praying, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm mourning, but I'm, I'm also praying on the behalf of what I'm praying for, and I'm telling you that as we go into this type of waiting patiently on the Lord, whatever God has placed on you about your family, about those around you in your community and church, what is he placed on you about how you feel about your society, the world you live in, and not let information shape you, inform you. That you wait patiently on the Lord and continue to allow yourself to intercede on the behalf of others in this nation. And as you intercede on this behavior, uh, nation, that you begin to intercede on the behalf of other nations. That God is doing a work in us and church. I dare to stretch us a bit. We had a Sunday morning prayer last Sunday, and I want to encourage you to, if you have an opportunity to attend. And one of the things we began to pray about were the homeless. And that prayer is is something that I literally see every day in my line of work. Because I, as we prayed last Sunday, there, there was a portion of it about the cities and, the, and the, the homeless encampments being destroyed. I don't know how you feel about that. But as you see bulldozers, because I see it in my line of work, bulldozers are literally going through the, the possessions of men and women and young kids and lifting it up and putting it right over into the city garbage disposal trucks leaving those people very much in a place of ruin, in ruins. Their gates being destroyed by those, I don't know your political views, but but it's okay, by elected officials. You see, Nehemiah's prayer, solely directed to the king, granted him success and favor. And that was his prayer, that he wanted favor. He was praying for favor before he approached this king, right? And as I mentioned, Artaxerxes was a powerful man, king of Persia, and the entire world was right at his command. A man in Nehemiah's position, as I expressed earlier, If he expressed sadness, it was a death sentence for him, right? I want to say this, that in his prayers, we see something that begins to take place. Prayers are able to take flight whenever God desires and will. For for the word of God will not return void or empty. It will set out and it will hit its target and it will accomplish what it is intended to do fervent prayers of of men and women of God. Artaxerxes is literally, he's literally the gatekeeper to everything that Nehemiah is needing, from the resources, the lumber, the timber, you name it, to provisions to walk through certain areas to, to protect his life. Xerxes is the gatekeeper to all that, the resources which funded this project of rebuilding this wall this king begins to sign off on letters for his travel. And boy, this really just bears witness to me with the the scripture out of Deuteronomy 28, that wherever you go, you are blessed going in and you're blessed going out. You're blessed in the city. For those of you who may have some fears about traveling um, in your city of L.A., in the city of L.A., in our city, sorry about that, in our city of L.A., if you have some fears about traveling in our cities, you're blessed going in and you're blessed going out. You're blessed everywhere. In the countryside, you are blessed. You're blessed in the hills country, you are blessed. You're blessed in the valleys, you are blessed. You're blessed in every way beyond blessed in your travels. In Acts chapter 12, we see something where Peter is in prison and we but what really what is really interesting about this particular passage of scripture is that Peter's in prison in Acts chapter 12 right but it also says this that there was someone praying on his behalf how many of you know that scripture are you familiar with it that someone that someone a group of people were praying on his behalf and as they prayed for him Peter <laughs> emerges from this prison cell and he happens to go to the home where the people are praying for him. I love this story because when Peter knocks on the door, right, it says that as he he, he addresses, he, he says who he is. He's Peter, right? And then immediately the folks who are praying for him think that he's a ghost. Because <laughs> he should have been dead, right? They think he's a ghost. I love it. They think he's a ghost knocking on the door. Prayer is essential, folks. Prayer is the essential ingredient to unlocking doors, moving mountains, and breaking chains. How many of you need some chains broken? How many of you desire to see chains broken over your health? Chains broken. Over your children? Chains broken. Over your families, over your employers? Chains broken. Chains broken. It is the movement of heaven, the activity of heaven while living on planet earth. Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The move of God in your life. Prayer, folks, is essential. See, James says it like this. In James chapter 5, verse 16, he tells us this. The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, right? You see, fervent prayer... If it, if it be for God's glory and presented in the name of his son, right, will accomplish great and mighty things until eternity. Fervent prayer is deep, focused, passion-filled petition to God. Not necessarily long, elaborate prayer, prayers. It would be very short and powerful prayers, right? It says, for fervent prayers will change the hearts of people, change the hearts of governments, change conditions, In our cities, in our nation, change conditions um, in the world, prayers of the faith from people of God will impact and spark a move of God by his people. What kind of people we ought to be? We ought to be a people that is holy and godly. Holiness is something attainable. It is very attainable. Church is very attainable. What are you willing to sacrifice? This isn't duty or obligation. What are you willing to present before the Lord as a living sacrifice? What are you willing to do? Let him just just surrender. And you know what? While I have other notes and and while I can continue on, I just want to stop right now because I really feel like it's not about the notes right now. It's really about what God is wanting to do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask if we can have, if we don't, no big deal, if we can have music. If we can. If If we can. If not, it's okay. Conditions of people Conditions of our nation, our cities, right? In this country, in the world that we live in. They're on the heart of God. In this book, Beautiful Resistance by John Tyson, he says this All great revivals have taken place in times of decline. Great revivals have taken place in times of decline. But he also says this. Resurrection is found among the dead. I want to call you to resist. Get this. I want to call you to resist compromise. When your friends tell you your faith is too intense, your devotion, and they tell you your devotion is unnecessary, that's when faith arises. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. His will is holy. It's an act of surrendering. It's between you and the Lord. But the beautiful thing about it, it involves others as well to come alongside you so you don't have to do it by yourself. And I just want to pray if you have faith to receive it. I want to pray this for some right now. And then there's something else the Lord is putting on my heart. I just feel like the Lord is saying, I want to break you past your gates. I want to break you past the gates that have, that have shaped your identity and I want to take you into somewhere mighty where your footsteps will be heard and they will be mighty to the Lord that as your footsteps walk out beyond the gates you're actually are going into the enemy's camp and you're taking the spoils Something about taking the spoils that really resonates with me, and I love that word resonate, but it resonates with me because you may have lost something at one point in time in your life. But God says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. What was actually in the lost column at one time, I believe God is wanting to put it into the win column for you right now. pertaining to your health, pertaining to your life, your family, your resources, your finances. If that's you, I just want to ask that you just acknowledge it where you are. Jesus, we invite you in. We thank you, Lord, this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask for a new vision, a new dream, a new revelation, an enlargement to take place to begin to reshape our thinking, how we formulate, how we process information that we surrender to you, Lord. Things that have shaped our identity, we lay it at your feet, Lord. Father, I pray that eyes of understanding will be enlightened, Lord, that folks will come to know the hope which they've been called. If that's you, just between you and the Lord, the words are simply this, yes, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender. Take everything I have. My health, I place it in your hands my mental, my physical, I place it into your hands, Lord. Have your way with me for I desire a new identity in you. And I really just feel like the Lord is saying this. I want I to change mindsets about this thing of just deficit because worldly deficit would compare it to a bank account and, and, would, and the bank account would define one's status. And I just feel like the Lord is saying this particular word right now, halt. 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 I think the Lord is wanting to stop you right in your tracks. And he's wanting to actually have you just surrender it and turn around and get a different view of him and know that your identity is not found And your investments, your bank accounts, your 401ks, and so forth, and so on, so on, that you are a citizen of heaven. And I tell you what, all of us in here collectively would not bankrupt heaven. Lord, we surrender. We surrender all to you, all that we have, all that we have. Eyes to be open, eyes to be changed lives be set free Lord I, I just thank you that your spirit is here and that you are doing a work within that you are reshaping that you are enlarging Lord I just think about um, just someone receiving a new jacket or new clothing as we talked about this thing about a holy garment being a cut above Lord Lord Father, I just thank you for a new cloak is being put on today, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as that cloak and as your capacity as people and as your capacity as the people of God begin to grow in that cloak, that you receive another one, a larger one, that you don't remain in that cloak that you've outgrown. And I pray that capacity is stretched and is enlarged in Jesus' name. That by the fire God in you, that you will be able to just release something through others, to others through you, in you, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I just want to say this. Um, if you want prayer and you want to you want extended prayer, please feel free to do so. And I would just ask if, um, if some leaders will be available. And if you desire, if you d- decide you want prayer in a specific area, I want to ask you to please come down front. But I want to say thank you, everyone. You've been great this morning. God is good. Yeah? All the time? God is good. Amen. 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 Church, be blessed. Know that God desires. He desires your affections. And know this is that just the scripture just says that God before you, who can be against you? Just think about that. The Lord before you, who can be against you? Jesus name. Amen. Hey, have a good day, guys. Uh, Remember, uh, everything that's taking place this week, Beach Day, you have an announcement. It's all good. uh, It's my bad. I didn't have a slide for it ready. But in two weeks, on the 22nd, that's on a Sunday, um, the youth and the young adults are going to be hosting a Beach Day. So we're going to be going down to Huntington Beach. We're going to have a bonfire uh and just a fun beach day right after church so if you can bring some snacks bring something to share uh the youth and the young adults will take care of the s'mores and uh securing our location but um yeah that's in two weeks so that's for the whole church that's not just for the youth and the young adults we're just hosting it so that's for everyone um two weeks sorry i didn't have a slide but we'll try to get that fixed (laughs) awesome lots of things taking place Prepare your hearts. Get your calendars out once again uh, this next Saturday. Coming up Saturday, Nerf Battle. I didn't say where. It's going to be at the park on 3rd Street, uh, a.k.a. the Duck Pond on Belvedere Park on the north side. We're going to set up and we're going to have some fun. Awesome. Uh, Take a look at uh, social media. Instagram websites has all the information of what we're doing in the life of our church. Have a great uh, Sunday and a great week. We love you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye.